T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Brief. For Monday, April 23rd, 2018, I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we are going to talk to a former active duty, current reserve Navy surface warfare officer who's got a pretty interesting career, or found one, I should say, after he left the active duty service, and that is driving a race car. That's right, he's a stock car driver, and believe it or not, he just decided one day he wanted to be one, and he did it. Yeah, we're going to talk to Jesse Awuji coming up in just a little bit. And, of course, it's Monday. That means we're also going to speak to Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. I lived in Afghanistan for a year, Jake. You'd think I could pronounce it right. Steph Mullen from IAVA. She's their research director. She's the one who looks into the statistics, the numbers, finds out what's really going on with problems. We're going to talk to her about the epidemic of veteran suicide And as I understand it, Steph has some not-so-good news for us in regards to not only veteran suicide, but active duty suicide rates as well. So all of that is still to come here on The Daily Brief. And right now we welcome Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, what do you think of the new name of the show, The Daily Brief? It's going to take a little bit to get used to, you know? Well, the reason we're doing that is uh, the show now re-airs at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. So if you're driving home in the afternoon and you hear my dumb mouth spouting out the morning briefing, you're going to be like, what is going on? Where are they broadcasting? I know, but it's just, it's the name change is weird. Like when Prince went to that weird symbol thing, it's going to take a little bit to get used to. How did you pronounce that symbol? That's pretty good, actually, because it has that kind of curvy thing on the end, but it does kind of look like a P in one form or another. But anyway, so the Daily Brief, you can now hear starting at 8 a.m. That's the original broadcast every day. 11 a.m. is a rebroadcast, which is 8 a.m. West Coast time. And then 4 p.m. for the East Coast drive and 1 p.m. for the, you know, post-lunch break if you're on the West Coast. You just had your avocado and fish tacos out there in San Diego (laughs) or La Jolla, and you're like, I don't really want to get back to work, brah. Let's listen to the Daily Brief. So that's where we're going to be from now on. Oh my on. God, totally. That's going to be the name of the show. Uh, if you are one of the people who downloads it on the website, it's probably still going to say the morning briefing for uh, a little while after that. But we'll get that fixed as soon as we can. Anyway, weekend. Jake, how was your weekend? My weekend was fantastic, Eric. Ooh, I, got to, I got to spend some quality time with the new God of War game, which was fantastic. I've never played that, and the last time you were at my house to watch the fights, the commercial came on, and we had a conversation about that game. I hate that there are console-exclusive games. At least I hate it when they're on a console that I don't Right, have. exactly. If it were an Xbox exclusive, I'd be like, well, sucks for you, PlayStation, mm-hmm. but that's not yeah, the way it works. I can tell you that if you've played the original God of War, it is a very different game. The combat is more intimate and focused. and uh, like sexual? I will not comment on that. It's based on Norse mythology, not Greek mythology. You know ah, how they they how they get in that mythology okay. stuff. Uh, but also, I uh, I took my first, I dove headfirst into full nerddom, in that <laughs> I started playing an MMORPG. Which one? Uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Oh wow! 
So that's the one based on my, one of my favorite video games of all time, which is The Elder Scrolls, which includes, well, quite a few. I started playing it with Morrowind, which was the one that came out when I was on the USS Saipan. So I'm going to say 2001, 2002, somewhere in that time frame. Um, we, I loved that game. It's like an open world, but it's single player. Then, of course, Oblivion was the one that followed that. Skyrim is the most recent, which won pretty much every award there is for video games. Before that, there was Red Guard and Arena, I think, were the first two Elder Scrolls games. How do you like the MMORPG life now that you've finally done it? Because I've played a few of them before, none currently, but I, I always enjoyed them. Well, as soon as I started playing, I gained 30 pounds and I had acne <laughs> pop up on my face. But uh, yes, I take a sip of coffee. Careful. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in reality, I haven't done much of the online portion yet because I've mainly been doing the mission by myself. I haven't had much interaction with other people right, yet. Right. So I'm still getting used to that. So. One of the issues with those games is finding um, people to play with. Now, it's weird because there are other people out there who are looking for people to play with. You're looking for people to play with. But unless you just happen upon them in the game, it's difficult. When I was in Suda Bay, we were playing World of Warcraft. Me and one other guy played World of Warcraft. We got a couple other people to join. We had like four or five people from work going out and questing together <laughs> and stuff. And listen, Suda Bay is not the most exciting place. There were limits on where you could go and what you could do. And it was just uh, a good time killer. Before that, let's see. Played EverQuest for a little while, World of Warcraft. There was an early one, and I'm talking real early. I was like 99 probably when I was in Iceland called Allegiance, which was a weird MMO that was also like a uh, spacecraft fighting game that hmm. didn't last very long, but I played that for a little bit. But yeah, so you you dove into that. But even before that, I know your weekend got off to a, uh, a somber start, but one that I'm sure you... Uh, um, Felt proud to do, and that's of course you were out with the uh, the Patriot Guard, right? Or who were who were you riding with on Friday? Yes, on Friday in the morning, I was riding with the Virginia Patriot Guard. Uh, we were escorting a fallen World War II Navy vet from the funeral home to the airport to take him back home to California. Mm. He was actually coming to DC for an honor flight, but actually died on the way. Oh wow! So we it was so short notice we didn't even get his name, but it was very. It was a very fulfilling experience to escort him back to the ho back to the the airport. So yeah. I, I I hesitate to say I had fun, but well, yeah, it's, but a, it's a very fulfilling experience. You're, you're proud to do, and and it's something where you're making sure that that someone this guy, you know, if he's up there looking down, if you believe in that or whatever you believe in, uh, at least he or his family, whoever, know that there are people that cared about him enough to do that. And it's one of those things that I've never done, but I really should. I mean, I've got the motorcycle. I rode it into work today, so. Uh, yeah, you know. it's 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 one of those things that I really I, I enjoy doing, but I don't get the opportunity to do because a lot of them are during the week, yeah. and so I'm at work, and so. But when I get to do it, it's a very somber, on, honorable experience. Yeah, uh, it certainly is, and it's certainly one of those things that I'm really just uh, I'm glad that someone came up with the idea to do this. Um, it, it really is a fantastic thing. And the Patriot Guard has done that as well as, uh, you don't hear about him as much since Fred Phelps died, but yeah. the Westboro Baptist Church, who, you know, I, I had a, a standing uh, order to some of my friends who I grew up with who were uh, not the type of people who care about laws and things like that. It was like, if, those, if I happen to die over there and those guys protest my funeral, take them out. Just yeah. get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, that didn't happen one way or the other because that was a younger me who was much more uh, okay with violence. But yet the, the Patriot Guard would go out there 
put the big flags on their, uh, you know, on the on the soft tails of their bikes to basically block the view of the uh, the Westboro people, and then they'd rev their engines to block out their awful chants and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, really, just a group that's done a lot of good out there, uh, and and not that it's and it hasn't taken a lot of effort. Or a lot of anything, really. It's just a bunch of guys and girls who have motorcycles and wanted to do something good, and they go out and do it. There you go. Yeah, it's not even, you don't even have to have a motorcycle. We had two, uh, we call them cages, which basically it's a normal vehicle, two cars hmm. with us. that you guys just call them cars? Yeah. <laughs> because got, when you're on you a motorcycle, you call it a cage because you're inside a cage. You're, you're more slang, man. man. Yeah. Exactly. You got to get get hip with the lingo, dog. I am a word home skillet slice home skillet close home enough. slice one of those two close enough yeah as i sit here in my tool shirt and jake sits here in his iron maiden shirt we'll go ahead and cut the slang out and yeah. just, uh, <laughs> just just be who we are yeah one of those things that that uh, i really should look into that also like the uh, the american legion riders there's a legion post pretty close to me outside of baltimore that is uh it's supposed to be great it's got everything i would i'd be looking for in a legion post i just haven't gotten over there yet and they have a uh, legion riders group over there so that's one of those things like you know it's also probably just a good way to get out and meet some new cool people and uh, make some connections right yeah it is it was uh, i'm meeting new people that i never obviously i was just about to say new people i've never met before well that's that's something that occasionally happens with <laughs> new people when you've never met them before that's what makes them new people jake yeah. my weekend was uh um pretty good so my son was excellent last week he'd been having some behavioral issues at school last week not only was he not having any of those behavioral issues, he actually was the victim of someone else's behavioral issues oh, wow. and, and didn't cry about it, didn't do anything, just went and told the teacher what had happened and was like, all right, so he was excellent. So we told him, you know, he's got a rewards chart and he gets these medals. He got enough. We went to Dave and Buster's, Ooh. which if you're a kid basically means which games get me the most tickets so that I can get Pokemon stuffed animals, which is exactly what he was concerned. Yeah, about. well, it's that's odd because we refer to Dave and Buster's as the adults Chuck E. Cheese, mm -hmm. but he didn't take him to Chuck E. Cheese. He took him to the adult Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, well, Chuck E. Cheese, there is one up by us. Um, it is smaller. It's got less variety of games. Also, uh, they, they don't have a bar. Ah, that's true. Dave and Buster's does. And uh, <laughs> Dave, the Dave and Buster's up near us is in a big mall, a, a very interesting mall. It's got a mixture of regular stores and outlet stores. My wife needed to do stuff. She added a, she just bought a new phone. She does phones differently because the, well, she's, if she hears this, which she probably won't, she's already working. But uh, when she uh, got two phones through AT&T, she lost both of them <laughs> within like a span of a month. So now she buys like used phones online and then gets them hooked up through uh, through our company and everything. And uh, so we went to do that and to get some clothes stuff. We went to Dave and Buster's and then Saturday night, I met up with my buddy Mike, who you've met once before, yeah. who wasn't able to come uh, to the last time we had the fights at the house because it was snowing. He's from upstate New York and complained about a couple of flurries in Virginia. Oh. Yeah, Jake made it up from around the same area. Mike was like, mm, I don't know. It's kind of snowy out there. It's going to be a rough time. Anyway, he came up. We went out and watched some fights. One of my buddies, uh, Aljamain Sterling, who I've worked with before, fought this weekend and won uh, in Atlantic City. Uh, it, it was a good weekend for New York fighters, mostly, except for Marab Dvalishvili, who got marobbed again the guy get two fights in the ufc both times he's been screwed over when it came to the judges uh this time it was the referee but anyway we uh went out there and you know what it was jake it was just a great opportunity for us to catch up and tell old stories stories that we've told 
20 times before to other people, to each other and stuff like that. Although I've only seen Mike, yeah, I've only seen him what, probably three times maybe in the last 20 years, 15 years, something like that. 15 years, I guess it would be. He was Virginia when I was down there. So we're talking 2002 would be the last. So yeah, like 16 years just catching up and realizing some of the insane stories that we have and the insane connections and the insane people. Like he, he brought up somebody he described someone. I said, oh, yeah, no, I do know her. She's my Facebook friend. And we, <laughs> we were looking at people that we both knew who we were Facebook friends with that the other one wasn't and telling stories. One of those things that you kind of need to you just need to do once in a while. And this is one of those guys who when stories of my time at either the Defense Information School or uh, the USS Saipan in the Norfolk area, when people say they sound too insane to believe, too good to be true, or they think I'm just full of it and making stuff up. This is one of the people who can verify a good number of those stories and would be happy to. So that was that was really the highlight of my weekend. And then just hanging out with my family yesterday. And we were cleaning. And then my wife and son made chicken pot pies from scratch, which was nice. I mean, you know, just a, a good weekend overall, a quiet one. Sounds like a good one for you, too. And we're starting off this week with a pretty good show. Jesse Awuji, who was a Navy surface warfare officer, Jake, who then uh, decided... Hey, uh, race car driver sounds like a pretty cool career. Went for it. Now he's driving in the ARCA series uh, as well as the one of the the lower NASCAR series. Like there's uh, ones that are east and west. It's like he, he's got a next step is the uh, the truck racing series, I believe, which he's working towards. One of the interesting things that I found out about him while doing the research prior to the interview, his racing team is actually owned by former NFL player Sean Merriman. Really? Played for the San Diego Chargers for many years. Um Here's the interesting thing. Jesse also has a football background. Pretty good one. Played for the Naval Academy. So there are more connections between NASCAR and other sports than you could possibly imagine. Jesse's also a standout in the NASCAR world because, well, he's the son of Nigerian immigrants. He's a little bit different than your average NASCAR yeah, rider. Yeah, I would imagine. In several ways. First off, African-American. Second off, military veteran. Third off, didn't get into driving like race car driving until he was in his mid 20s. And now he's already up to this level on a good team with some good sponsors and everything. We're going to talk to Jesse about that experience. What made him decide to go into racing? If it really was as much just like, well, I just kind of want to do it and see if I can do it. It's it's really a truly amazing story. They just did a great video on him. That's like uh, any day in the Navy or something like that. It shows the uh, the lives of sailors uh, as they go through it. Jesse's a very interesting one. And then we'll talk to Steph Mullen from IAVA about veteran suicide and active duty suicide, just suicide as it involves the military community past and present. There are some new numbers out, and this is the DOD report, so it relates to active duty. Um, the numbers with active duty in the veteran community often correspond, not always, but often if you see a rise in one or a dec decrease in the other, uh, it's a good sign for the other one. Uh, not not good news coming out of the DOD report. Uh -huh. Looks like the active duty suicide rate has actually risen in comparison to the fourth quarter from the previous year. So we're talking fourth quarter 2017, which is, of course, the holidays. I mean, it, it's the worst time of year for uh, people taking their own lives. It's when you know any struggles that you're having can be magnified by what's going on and, and what you think should be going on. I think that's a big part of it. Like, you know, hey, it's Christmas. I'm here by myself. I got nothing going on. There's no one here with me. I'm not giving any presents. I'm not having eggnog and wearing silly sweaters. Like, where am I? And then you start thinking about other stuff. People have financial difficulties around the holidays. I mean, it's it's you start thinking about the loved ones that aren't with you. There's a lot of reasons for 
the fourth quarter being, uh, you know, the the worst time of year. Um, and it certainly looks like it was for the active duty. We're going to talk to Steph about that, find out, you know, what's going on and what can be done and what is being looked at as the possibilities. Steph focuses primarily on research and numbers for IAVA. So, you know, she's trying to dig down and essentially use math to figure out what the problem is. And then it's the responsibility of everyone else at IAVA, every other VSO, DOD, VA, us, you, me, uh, it's everyone else's responsibility once we've identified the real issue to figure out exactly what we can do to get rid of it. So it's going to be a very, very, very bad conversation to have, but an important one to right. have. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the kind of thing that it makes you uncomfortable. You don't want to talk about it, but it needs to be talked about. Speaking of uncomfortable topics, and this is one that we've we've brought up before, and this is veterans of the United States military who have been deported. Now, why does that happen? Well, joining the military doesn't give you automatic citizenship. As I wrote in an op-ed on ConnectingVets.com a while back, uh, I think it should. If, if you get an honorable discharge, if you complete your at least four years or whatever that you signed up for, then yeah, you should automatically be a citizen. I would be 100% for that. I don't think many people would be against it. I think that's something that, uh, you know, we could probably see a law get passed on pretty easily. We're going to be talking to some congressmen and prospective congressmen in the coming days, including one from your neck of the woods, Jake. Dan Crenshaw is going to join us again. Are we again. talking to him again? Yeah, cool. he's going to come on next week. Uh, he's coming up on the actual runoff. He made it to the runoff down in Houston, and it's just mano y mano now. So we're going to see if... Uh, this uh, challenger to Dan is up to the task because, as Phil Briggs was saying, who would want to run against that guy? You can't say anything mean or not nice about him. One, because it's probably not going to be true. Two, he could kill you with his bare hands. <laughs> so you got to be wary of that. Um, the issue of veterans being deported typically comes from this. We do allow foreign nationals to join our military for various reasons and in various ways. Some of them have a green card. Some of them don't. And it has to do with uh, you know needs of the military predominantly. Now, not so much when it comes to immigrants from uh, near our borders who are green card recipients living in the States for a long time. That's a different thing. When it comes uh, to uh, – there was a guy from I, – I believe he was Bosnian or something who passed away. Did you see that story? No. Uh, this guy – so this guy was um, – he got a couple stories going for this. He was an immigrant soldier, and essentially what happened is he was going through a vetting process, and that essentially caused him to be stuck at where his AIT was taking place. Uh, his name was Janisiewicz. Uh, he was at Fort Lee. He completed his AIT there uh, and then was undergoing the Pentagon's new uh, extreme vetting for non-citizen service members. Well, he was running uh, PT over there, physical fitness training, on April 12th. And drop dead essentially. So he was uh, he's Serbian, not Bosnian. So my apologies for that. Um, this is that that's that's one of the people he came over. Needs of the military, they needed someone to do a specific job. This often happens with linguists or you know other things like that. I mean, it's done throughout the United States in many jobs. You can look at many people who were uh, bumped to the front of the line with immigration because they were physicians or scientists or you know engineers or things that were needed in a specific place. Um, you do have though people that are green card holders, typically from Mexico and other areas close to the United States. And in this story. We now have, oh, where did it go? There we are. In California, Marine Corps veteran Enrique Salas, he was deported to Mexico. Yeah, 
Friday. He finally made it back to the United States, laid to rest in a California cemetery. He was 47 years old, buried with military honors in the San Joaquin Valley city of Reedley, where he had attended high school before enlisting in the Marines. Died on April 12th after a serious car accident in Tijuana, where he'd been living. I was transported across the border for treatment at a San Diego hospital and had a heart attack on the way there. So he died. Um, you know, this is, uh, he came to the United States when he was six, served in the Marines, honorably discharged after serving four years active duty and in the Persian Gulf War. 2004, drug conviction, arrested at a border checkpoint while returning to the U.S. from a family trip to Mexico. So, I mean, this is someone who broke the law and was not a citizen and got deported. It's what happens. We've Sorry. talked about it before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's his mistake. And the ones who at least admit that, we had the, uh, the interview recently that, uh, that Phil did uh, with the gentleman who just got his, he was pardoned by the governor of California, which is within the rights of the governor of California to do, and was finally allowed to come back to the States after many years uh, being in Mexico. His was a gun crime. He was shooting at, uh, at cars. Now, they were empty cars, but this guy's just walking around shooting a gun off. And he has said, like, dude, what I did was horrible. I mean, I understand that. I hope they let me back in. Uh, and now I'm sure he's glad that they did let him back in. But he understood why he was deported and said, like, listen, man, I'm not I'm not saying this was some, some giant wrong against me. I did the crime, but I feel like I've done the time. This is uh, this is another one where we have someone who uh, essentially went to do something bad afterwards we of course have the story uh that we're not going to delve into again where we've actually gotten messages from the family right. of the soldier who was deported again for trying to sell like four pounds of cocaine or two pounds or less than 100 ounces i mean you, you don't get the full thing but again we also haven't seen from him the same thing that we've seen from some others of taking responsibility for what happened he's essentially saying like no 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 wasn't me the ptsd did it this did it that did it i didn't even know what was in the briefcase you can't prove that i did and blah blah there's there's things that i don't know when you hear someone taking responsibility for something you can accept that a little bit more and it makes you want to help them out i mean i'm sure you know that from your time in the army i mean you were a staff sergeant when you got out i was a first class in the navy which means we were responsible for overseeing people and when someone was refusing to admit when you knew that they were the one who did something and they're refusing to take responsibility for it and still wanting like, no, 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 that wasn't my fault. That was the fault of uh, your gremlins or whatever. You know, it's it's you're willing to help them or much more ready to help them when they're willing to take responsibility for what they've done. Yeah, I always told my troops that uh, I don't want to hear excuses. All I want to hear from you is I messed up, Sarn, it won't happen again. Yeah. And then don't let it happen again. Well, Salas was never getting back into the United States. Uh, the reason is after that drug conviction in 2004, um, he reentered the country and was deported two more times, prosecuted on a federal charge of illegal reentry, did 18 months in prison for that. Um, this was somebody who was just, you know, trying to get back into the country and, and didn't worry about trying to do it legally like Hector Barajas did. Hector Barajas is the former paratrooper we were talking about. He was deported eight years ago and just became a U.S. citizen this month. The other issue is, as we talked about, and we've, we've written about it on the website, we've talked about it here, you have the opportunity to become a citizen while serving in the military, and it's a, a streamlined process for you while you're in there. And if you don't do it, whose responsibility? Again, responsibility is a key word here. Whose responsibility is that? It's not your staff sergeant's responsibility to make you do it. They're supposed to make you aware. Again, with uh, with uh, uh, PFC Perez, he says nobody ever told him about that. You say you find that hard to believe, having been a drill instructor yourself. Very hard to believe. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you don't do it and you decide you don't, you know, well, hey, this isn't for me. 
then when you commit a crime, you're going to face different. It's it's the way that it works. It's how it goes. If you're not a U.S. citizen and you commit a crime in the United States, goodbye. You go away. That's what it is. And it's unfortunate, particularly when you hear about people who have had a, a really rough time. And Perez is a good example where he's, he's uh, you know, he's been diagnosed with PTSD apparently, thinks that he might have a TBI as well. That's bad stuff, and that's something that we want to help him with. But then, you know, when you've got the four pounds of cocaine and you've got someone saying, like, well, I didn't know what was in the bag. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? It doesn't really matter. You had it. Yep. And while you can't, uh, while we can't prove that you essentially knew what was in the bag, at least I don't think I can. I don't know if the feds could or the police or whoever it was. Um, you know, we 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 can prove that you had it in your possession and things like that. So, you know, this guy, he got to come back to the United States finally, but it was for his burial. So, you know, not the greatest situation uh, to come back. And, and it's a difficult subject, but it's one where, I don't know, I'm kind of firmly on the side of, hey, if you commit the crime, you do the time. And if that means you're sent out of the country because you didn't earn your citizenship, hey, I am, and again, fully for changing the law so that if you serve in the military and complete your four years Honorably, honorable discharge, no other than honorable, no general, no nothing like that. Honorable discharge, you get citizenship. And again, it's not even so much as he didn't earn it. He earned it by his service. He just didn't go through the process. Yeah. So he, it's either ignorance or laziness. Yeah, one of the two. And this guy, uh, Mr. Salas, who passed away, former Marine, uh, again, tried to get back into the country several times, deported two other times, uh, federal conviction of illegal reentry and all that. Yeah, not a great situation. Oh boy, also not a great situation with the suicide epidemic taking place in the military and veteran community. That's why we need to talk about it. Steph Mullen from IAVA is going to be here to do just that coming up after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Daily Brief here on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And remember, check us out on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. little click of your mouse or tap on your phone and you will be living your best veteran life with the amazing array of content that we have on a variety of platforms, including audio like this, video like Jonathan Copanger's Hack the VA series, and of course, numerous articles. I highly recommend my latest op-ed on the ridiculousness surrounding the dinosaur puppet reenlistment video in the Air National Guard. Right now, we're about to speak to a veteran who's currently serving in the Navy Reserve still, but has a very interesting backstory. He's one of those Navy football players, and he actually is doing something still pretty athletic, as he is currently a stock car racer. His name is Jesse Awuji, and he joins us now on The Daily Brief. Jesse, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, good morning, and thank you for having me on the show. So, first question for you is the one that we ask to everybody when we start off, and that is, tell us a little bit about your service, you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were in the Navy. Yeah, definitely, for sure. So, originally from Dallas, Texas, and, you know, my, my parents had immigrated from uh, Nigeria back in the 80s before they had me, my two brothers, and my sister. So, we lived in Dallas pretty much our whole life, and, you know, being in Texas, uh, football, especially high school football, was huge. So, you know, football really kind of took over my life while I was in high school, and I had a big goal of going to college and playing college football. And the first big school that began recruiting me was the Naval Academy. And, you know, after looking into it and seeing, you know, all the different opportunities that 
um, you know, were presenting itself, you know, by going to the academy, I figured, hey, this is going to be my best bet right here. I get to go to a great school, get a great education, play great college football. And when I graduate, I have a great career started for me being in the Navy. So I took that offer, went to the Naval Academy, played football there for four years and ran track, graduated in 2010 and then became an officer in the Navy, uh, a surface warfare officer. So, you know, we were on the ships, operating the ships and doing a lot of fun stuff with that. Uh, went on two different deployments with the two ships I was on, uh, one for about 10 months in 2012 to the Arabian Gulf and the other one for about five months in 2014 with, um, to the Arabian Gulf again. And um, after that, uh, during, during that second deployment is when I had the crazy, crazy idea that I wanted to also pursue some other wild dreams while being in the Navy, and that was racing. So um, through meeting some people, networking a lot, a lot of grind, a lot of tough days, a lot of good training, and just doing everything I could in the world, um, you know, I basically began racing and worked my way from racing late models in 2015 to now racing in the NASCAR K&N Pro Series West and East and also the ARCA Series. And uh, it's been a pretty, pretty incredible journey so far. It really sounds like it, and, and we're going to talk about all of that during our interview today, but I want to start with talking about your experience as a Navy football player. I mean, that's something that makes an already difficult academic experience, as we know the Naval Academy is, uh, even more difficult. And the very first guest we ever had on this show is one of your fellow Navy football players, Brian Stan, who would go on to be, of course, a Marine Corps officer, receive the Silver Star, and then uh, go on and fight in the UFC. And he talked about the camaraderie that he had with his teammates there, how you know, the, the focus on academics really made it an even more enriching experience. He didn't think about it as difficult. When you reflect on your time at the academy and the amount of time that was taken up by football and then academics on top of it, overall, how would you say the experience was? Are, are you happy that you chose to be an athlete as well as a midshipman? Oh, I'm definitely happy I chose to be an athlete. Um, you know, being at the Naval Academy, uh, you know, there's a lot that's required of you. You have to be physically fit. You, know, you have to be smart. You have to be um, dedicated. There's just so much. And I think uh, being an athlete on top of all that just added to the challenge. And for me, I've always been about the challenge and pushing myself to new levels and, you know, getting to play for a team like Naval Academy, who has so much history and tradition behind it. Um, it, it was huge. So, um, you know, taking that opportunity and getting to go to all the cool places we got to go to, like Notre Dame, beating them twice while I was there, <laughs> going, to, uh, going, going and playing Army and Air Force and beating them all four years I was there, getting the uh, Commander-in-Chief trophy at the White House for four years in a row. Um, it was amazing. It was a great experience. Um, the people I played with, you know, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget them. You know, we, we still are friends. We're the best friends ever. Um, you know, we stick close together. We, we stay in contact. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a brotherhood and that's why we call it the Navy football brotherhood. Um, you know, there's, there's so much behind it and there's so much that people don't get or won't ever understand because they weren't in it. Even if you went to the academy, if you didn't play football, there's just something different about it. You know, that's something that Brian told us as well, and that, you know, he felt that if he ever needed a place to stay, no matter where he was, he knew he could find one of the Navy football players that he knew, or even ones that he didn't know, and stay at their house. Now, uh, as a warning, I would say anyone who Brian Stan asked to stay at your house, it's a good idea to say, okay, buddy, come on over, because he's not, not the type of person you want angry at you. So you go on to become a surface warfare officer, which for those who aren't familiar with the world's finest Navy, like you and I are as Navy veterans, that's that's the legit officers, the guys who are running the ship. Um that period of time came to an end for you. You left active duty. As you said, you had the uh, the kind of dream to get into racing. Now, 
first question about the dream to get into racing, did it happen just all of a sudden one day? I mean, did you just wake up and go, I want to be a race car driver? Or was this something that you'd actually thought about for a, a longer time? Um, so it literally was just that. I was sitting in my room one night, and I had a whiteboard on my wall, and I stood up and I went to my whiteboard and I wrote, become a professional race car driver. <laughs> and, and that is when it started. That was January of 2014. That is when it started. And prior to that, you know, I had a Dodge Challenger that I was drag racing. I had a Corvette that I was taking to open open track days at road courses and, you know, having fun with that. So I had been on tracks before, I just but I hadn't competitively raced before. So after doing all that for a little bit or a few years, I decided that I wanted to take it to the next level. And that's when I said I want to, you know, professionally race. And and I wanted to do it while I was still in the Navy. Mm. So my racing career began while I was active duty. And based, uh, even really till now, I mean, I have more years in racing while active duty than I do in the reserves. So, you know, and, and it's taken a lot of work. It's taken a lot of dedication. But, you know, through the help of a lot of sponsors like my current sponsors right now, uh, BBMC Mortgage and uh, Perfect Hydration, uh, folks like that, you know, who have come along the way through the years um, have really, really helped me launch his career and get it going and then also help me do a lot of things for vets um with different charities different initiatives um like patriots uh, charity initiative they you know raised over two million dollars to help different veteran causes and initiatives um throughout the years and uh just so many different things in so many ways i've been able to kind of use this platform to help people you know, it's kind of interesting that you were able to advance to the level that you have already within the stock car racing world, considering that you were a SWO in the Navy, which is a notoriously time-consuming and difficult job within the Navy's different officer corps that there are. Um, do you think that the fact that you played football at the Naval Academy and had to balance academics and athletics there played into the fact that you were able to find success while you were still serving on active duty and racing in your free time? Yeah, yeah. Um, it helped a lot. Uh, stuff I learned at the Naval Academy really, really helped propel um, what I was doing, you know, while racing NASCAR and also, uh, you know, being active duty. Um, you know, just time management, being able to present myself in a professional manner, uh, being uh, even PowerPoints. I know in the Navy, we all hate PowerPoints. We hate it. But man, that has helped me a lot because you know, when you're developing uh, sponsorship presentations and things like that to present to different companies, um, you know, a lot of it's in PowerPoint form. And if I didn't have the skills that I had from PowerPoint, learning uh, how to do different briefs and stuff for my captain on the ship and this and that, um, I wouldn't be able to do that myself. And I would have been having to pay someone, hey, can you make this presentation for me? Because I don't know how to use, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> something that everyone in the Navy who's been in for any length of time eventually becomes very good at, although they might not want to yeah. be. We're speaking with Jesse Awuji. Jesse is a Navy veteran, still currently serving in the reserves, but his full-time job now, race car driver. And as you just told us, Jesse, that was something that you just woke up one day, you had a whiteboard, you were thinking, what might I want to do with my life when I leave the Navy? Let's talk about your departing active duty and kind of focusing full-time on racing, of course, with the reserve component uh, being a part of your life as well. What were some of your worries heading into that transition period of your life, and how did it end up all working out? Was it a smooth transition, or did you have some difficulty when you went from active status to veteran status? 
Well, so the crazy thing is, is ra- is actually racing in NASCAR isn't even my full-time job. So um, I, I actually have a regular day job that I do throughout the week. I'm the VP of marketing and sales at Magnuson Superchargers. And then also, too, I own my own business where I um, basically I'm a promoter for drag racing events. So I put on about eh, five, six drag racing events a year at different uh, drag strips uh, in California and, and Arizona. And and uh, that business has actually done really well. Um, through that, I was able to fund my entire 2016 season myself. Um, and so, so having the business, working my day job at Magnuson Superchargers, and then also being a reserve officer and having my weekend duties uh, each month, um, add that all together, and that's like my full-time job. But then the racing is, 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 is also a full-time gig, but it's in between all of that. <laughs> so um, it's been pretty crazy. But because of all the things I was doing, the transition going from active duty to the reserves was actually really, really smooth. Um, my, my day job that I picked up with Magnuson Superchargers, um, they're based out of Ventura, California, and my reserve station was in Ventura, California. So it all worked out because it got to be in the same place. And then also, too, the reason I even picked up the job was because Magnus and Superchargers was a title sponsor for the drag racing event that I was putting on. So when their head of marketing and sales left, um, that position was open. And because I had a little bit of marketing sense from all my NASCAR ventures and my business ventures, um, I figured, hey, I think I'd be a good fit for that job. And they already saw all the stuff I was doing. They saw the capabilities I had when it came to marketing and sales. And they figured you'd be a great person for it. So I became, you know, the the head of marketing and sales there. So it actually was pretty smooth, but because I was putting myself in a lot of different positions and putting myself out there in front of a lot of people and doing a lot of things, it's made the transition to anything a little bit better because, you know, options just doors eventually open up. Well, it sounds like you've got a whole heck of a lot on your plate. And it sounds like you have, I mean, at least since the point when you entered the Naval Academy, taking on the role of being on the football team and everything else that you had to do there to maintain your academic standing. Are you one of those people who just wouldn't be happy if you didn't have a ton of things on your plate at any given moment in your life? Yeah, you know, a lot of nights, because I stay up to about 1, 1 1.30 a.m. every single night working on all this stuff. And um, a lot of nights I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could just go to sleep at like 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock like everybody else. And then I think about it, I'm like, no, I, I wanted this. I put myself in this position. Like, I wanted to be busy like this because I wanted to be on the top level of everything in life. So because I wanted to do that, it requires a lot of work. You know, I can't. I can't expect a million dollars with a with a with a fifty thousand uh, dollar type effort. If I want a million dollars, I got to give a million dollar type effort. So, and that takes late nights, mm. and and it's not late nights a couple days a week. It's late nights seven days a week. Um, with my schedule, literally, I have to stay up until one or one thirty a.m. for me to accomplish a portion of what I need to accomplish every single day. Have you ever felt like you're behind the power curve? I, and I ask that because having worked uh, as a Navy um, as a Navy public affairs officer for recruiting when the Navy had a NASCAR team, uh, I know for a fact that most people who race at the highest level of stock car racing and at the levels that you're at, most of them kind of started early on. Many of them, it's since they were children, they were working up to that point and working through the various series, whereas you had four years at the Naval Academy, you had your years of service after that, you really didn't put you know th- this large effort into into the stock car racing until you're in your what mid to late twenties. I mean, how how have you dealt with that? The fact that so many of the people you're racing against have been doing it so much longer and focusing so much more on it than you have. Yeah, um, it, I, I always do feel like I'm behind the power curve. Um, I still have a lot to learn. I have a lot of um, 
like a lot of experience to gain. And that's why I try to race as much as I can as, in many races as I can, so I can gain the, the experience I need to, so that I can continue to learn. Because a lot of the drivers I've been racing against have been racing since they were, you know, five years old, six years old. You know, a lot of these drivers I race against have more years racing than I do having a driver's license. Mm. So, um, you know, it, it is tough in that way. And I'm, I'm doing my best to just gain as much experience as possible so I can catch up. That's why, you know, every night that I, I get home, you know, after I, you know, after my job, after I get home from working out and everything, I spend about two hours on my racing simulator um, just to get, you know, seat time just, you know, with my mind, you know, with the simulator. Um, and there's other things I'm doing, too, just to help, you know, to, to help balance. And, um, you know, it, it's tough, but I know for sure I can stay in this game if I continue to have the support that I've had, um, especially through, you know, all the different partners and stuff I've brought on. Those have been, you know, great for me. I've seen that a lot of, there's a lot of great drivers out there who, who have won races, done this, done that, and then they're not racing anymore. And it's not because they're not good drivers. It's because, you know, they didn't do maybe what was necessary um, to have the right uh, funding to continue to race, to have the right partners to keep them in racing. You know, I have some great ones right now with BBMC Mortgage and Perfect Hydration, um, Operation Home Connect. All these folks, um, they believe in me and they see the marketing opportunities with me. They see that I put a lot of marketing effort into what I'm doing and they love it. And that's the big thing with these companies is they want to see somebody who's going to go out there and promote them and get them a great ROI for their investment. Speaking of partnerships, and we're speaking with Jesse Awuji. Jesse served on active duty in the Navy as an officer after time spent at the Naval Academy, not only studying to become one of those officers, but playing on the midshipman football team. Jesse, what kind of partnership have you had with the Navy in regards to your racing career? I mean, you said you started racing uh, while you were still serving on active duty. I know the Navy just did an awesome video about a day in the life of Jesse Awuji. What's the partnership with the Navy been like in regards to the racing career? So, yeah, the Navy, um, it's been a slow, slow process, but it's been starting to really uh, take off, uh, you know, here recently, especially with that video that that um, the Navy came out to Daytona for my Daytona debut in the Arctic series. And they shot this uh, documentary film for their episodes that they're doing called uh, Faces of the Fleet. Faces of the Fleet is a series that they're doing on different sailors who are out there doing pretty cool extracurricular type activities. And um, it's been it's been a uh, it's it's been pretty cool with with how they put that together. And when I got to watch it for the first time, I was just like, wow, that was epic. So yeah, the Navy's been great. Um, we're working on some more things. Hopefully, coming up this year um, to continue the relationship going and to build it some more. And you know, the end goal is to get the Navy back into NASCAR. I know when they were in NASCAR before, they were sponsoring different teams. Um, they never really had a driver that had any real true connection to the Navy. Mm. Um, I think this is an opportunity right now for them to jump on board and, um, you know, have a partner up with someone who actually in the Navy. I can go to different high schools and elementary schools and colleges and do, you know, recruiting type speeches and talk to kids. And I can look them in the face and, you know, straight up tell them, hey, I was in your shoes just a few years ago. I went to the Naval Academy. I played college football. I graduated I went into the Navy. I've gone on deployments, multiple deployments, spent a lot of time overseas, came back, and now I'm, I'm pursuing my dreams at the highest level. I'm doing some big things on TV, and I can sit here and be living proof to say that, hey, whatever in life that you want to do, it's definitely possible. Look at me. I'm just like you. You can be like me, too. 
You know, it's funny that you mention that. I mean, when I think back to the drivers of the Navy NASCAR car, which was sponsored by JR Motorsports, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s company, some big names. I mean, Brad Keselowski was the driver of the Navy car, and he's gone on to do great things within the NASCAR world after that. But as you said, no real connection to the Navy inside of those cars. And I think that part of that's because so many people within that world, especially at the highest level, started doing it, as you said, so young, starting racing at five, six years old. Um, You're a little bit different in that, and you're also a little bit different in that i mean in my years uh, going down to daytona for the uh, the navy nascar team i don't recall seeing more than maybe one or two drivers who belong to any minority group of course you are uh, of nigerian descent as you said your parents emigrated to texas uh, what's it been like being someone who is uh, kind of breaking through some barriers there within the st- the stock car weight racing world uh, it's been pretty cool. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's it's been good because you know it makes me different. Um, you know, a lot of people in NASCAR, you know, a lot of a lot of folks, a lot of fans at least, they look at NASCAR and they're like, hey, you know, everyone's just the same. Everyone looks the same. They come from the same background. They've done all the same things. They all started racing at the same age. It's just all you know, kind of the same. And uh, not that it's you know bad. You know, there's a lot of great people in NASCAR, but um, I think we're in the day and time where people want to see something a little bit different. You know, they want to they want to see a female in NASCAR. They want to see African Americans. They want to see Hispanic people, Asian. They want to see something different because the world is changing. Um, the world is becoming more diverse and 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 mixing a lot more. And it, for people to be able to relate to the sport, they got to see someone in there that they can relate to that is like them, that came from where they came from, who talks like them, who thinks like them, who who can understand their culture. And in order to do that, you just need a little bit more diversity. So with, you know, me coming into sport, uh, Bubba Wallace Jr. Uh, being in the NASCAR Cup Series, uh, people like Kyle Larson, um, um, Daniel Suarez, all these people, you know, who really to kind of bring a little bit more diversity to NASCAR. Um, I think it's going to help a lot, and hopefully, I'm you know I'm bringing the African American aspect to it, and also the military aspect. Um, there hasn't been a military, you know, really a military driver racing in NASCAR in a really long time, and now that I'm doing it while still being in the military and serving actively, and also you know now racing, I can connect the dots between the military and NASCAR, and hopefully bring even more of that demographic to the sport. You know, and there's some direct connections between football and NASCAR. I know as a, uh, a big-time Raider fan that Tim Brown was a part owner of a NASCAR team. Uh, Sean Merriman, who I believe you have uh, maybe some knowledge about, has gotten involved in the NASCAR world. What do you think the connection between football and racing is as someone who played for the midshipmen at the Naval Academy? Uh, there's a lot of connections. Uh, so far, in, in you know mentioning Sean, yeah, Sean Merriman, he jumped on board um, as my car owner in 2017 and this year. And that's been a pretty cool partnership so far, um, having him on board and all the different connections he's had and what he's been able to do to help bring a lot of great media attention towards our team. Um, that's been really great. And, um, you yeah, know, football and NASCAR, I think there is a lot of connections. Um, they're both uh, high-intensity type sports. Um, one is more of a stick-and-ball sport, you know, football with having a football and, you know, tackling and throwing the football around and catching it. And then, you know, NASCAR is different. It's not that. There's no ball. You're in a race car. So you're not running. You're not hitting anyone, well, at least with your body. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's, it's just different. So, um, but there is the same type of heat stress. You are, your mind is having to stay in this constant, you know, crazy focus the entire time for two, three, four hours. Um, 
there's a there's a lot of strategy involved. You know, when you're doing your pit stops, when to do them. If you do them, do you take on fuel or do you not take on fuel? Do you take on all four tires or do you take on two? Do you make whatever adjustments to the car now or do you wait till later? Do you, you know, just so many different strategy. And then also when you're on a track and racing people, you know, sometimes it's not smart to make a pass right now. Maybe it's smart just to stay right behind them and put a little bit of pressure so that they can, um, you know, wear down their tires and everything. So. Um, there's, there's a lot of different ways to really play it, but yeah, there's a lot of strategy and a lot of different, um, connections you can make really between NASCAR and football and then the pit crew side of it. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Those, those pit crew guys are athletes. All of majority of them nowadays came from playing, uh, college football, basketball, soccer, right. or some type of, uh, sport like that in, 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 in college. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways they can relate. Yeah, I remember the Navy NASCAR pit team. There was a guy who played at University of Tennessee, and man, they were big guys, strong guys, fast guys, who it turned out, uh, I did not know this, being uh, not a NASCAR fan going into working that job, uh, they were training like five days a week, and then they'd fly in for the race and then fly back out and do all their things. It's, it's really interesting. We've been speaking with Jesse Awuji, Navy veteran, Navy officer, Annapolis football player and graduate, and racer. That's right, stock car racer. One day decided he wanted to see if he could be a stock car racer, and he's in the process of completing that dream. I mean, he's already completed it. So the question that I have for you, and I guess it's the last one, Jesse, is what's next for Jesse Awuji? What do you see in the coming years for you? Yeah, so the goal, you know, with my racing career and journey is to continue to move up. Uh, right now I'm in the NASCAR k series and also in the ARCA series. Um, you know, right, right now uh, the goal is to move up to the next level, which is the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, um, and then eventually the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and then NASCAR um, Cup Series. That's the end goal. Uh, to do that, you know, got to continue to uh, get better and better on the track. Got to continue to do all the marketing things I'm doing now off the track. Um, got to continue to help support uh, different uh, veteran initiatives and other kind of charities and causes uh, because that's all part of my story too, and that's all part of uh, you know helping others achieve their dreams too, which you know is always good. Um, you know, just all those different things together. That's kind of really what's going to take what it's going to take to to continue to move up. Um, I know with uh, BBMC Mortgage being on board, they've been a great partner so far, and looking forward to having them on board for even longer and doing some great things with them. Um, I know we just did a contest, uh, and, and, uh, we actually had uh, a lady, a very, very nice lady just won, uh, the opportunity to come to my race next weekend at Talladega Speedway. And, uh, through doing things like that and engaging with the fans a bunch and really kind of getting a lot of fan support, that's, what's going to really help catapult me to the next level. So, um, looking forward to a lot of great things and yeah, the goal is NASCAR cup series. And when I get there, um, it's going to be really amazing. If people want to keep track of your career, find out more about you, is there a website or any place that you'd recommend they go to find out everything they want to know about Jesse Awuji? Yes, there's a lot of different ways. Um, one, they can check me out on social media. Just go on to any of the social media pages like uh, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and just look up my name, J-E-S-S-E. And then last name is Iwuji, I-W-U-J-I. Or they can go to uh, mybbmc.com backslash jesse and they can check out all the cool things we're doing with bbmc mortgage 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, my, I have, my new website is actually going to be launching here pretty soon. Um, it's still, I have one up right now, but we have some new features coming up soon. But if they go to jessiewujiracing.com, they can see that and see what's going on. And, um, you know, each race we're going to be trying to give away some tickets for people to come out and check it out. So people just do all the great, cool social media type contests. If they enter into them, um, they, uh, they'll get the opportunity to win some tickets to come out and watch me race and support. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of ways for people to keep track of you because there's a lot of things going on in Jesse Awuji's life. And we want to thank you so much for taking a few minutes out to join us here on The Daily Brief. Thank you so much, Jesse. Most definitely. Thank you for having me on the show. And for all the listeners out there, if you have big dreams and big goals, never let anyone tell you that you can't do them. It's definitely possible. And always always remember, never let someone's opinion of you become your reality. That's a quote straight from Les Brown. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.